Wonderful. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs chapter 18. If you've been with us in our Sunday evening services, you'll know that we've been uh, working through the book of Proverbs. And I want to uh, preach a sermon this morning that I preached uh, two years ago uh, at an evening service. Um, so Proverbs 18. We'll be looking at verse 4 of Proverbs 18. So I'll read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll begin. Proverbs 18, verse 4. This is the word of our Father. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Before we turn to the Lord in the text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your inexhaustibly rich word. We thank you that we could spend a lifetime meditating on a single verse and yet not exhaust all of its riches. And we pray that that would be our heart's attitude towards your word, that we would see it as inexhaustibly rich and not only inexhaustibly rich, but the sweetest thing that there is and the most precious thing that there is. May you further that this morning. May everything we do this morning be an expression of love for you and from you. May we love your word. May we love you. May we love each other. May you do a mighty work here in our midst. May we be humble before you. May you take our eyes off ourselves and fix them on you, that we might love you and love each other. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember reading something from a man named Isidore I. Uh, Rabbi. And uh, Isidore Rabbi was a very accomplished scientist. But he has a wonderful quote about how his mother influenced him and how his mother made him a scientist. Listen to this. My mother made me a scientist without ever intending it. Every other Jewish mother in Brooklyn would ask her child after school, so did you learn anything today? But not my mother. She always asked me a different question. Izzy, she would say, did you ask a good question today? That difference, asking good questions, made me become a scientist. It's a wonderful quote, isn't it? It's a wonderful quote. And a similar thing could be said of good Bible reading. One thing that makes a huge difference, one thing that makes for good Bible reading, is asking good questions. Uh, the first question, whenever you're reading a text, is the obvious question, isn't it? What does the text say? What is being said in this text? Another really good question, though, that maybe you don't often ask when you're reading the Bible or listening to the Bible being preached is who? Who is writing and what does it mean that that particular person 
is writing? That's another really, really good question when it comes to Bible reading. Who is speaking in the text? And there'll always be two answers to that question, by the way. Whenever you ask the question, who is speaking in the text, there'll always be two answers. There'll always be the divine author, because the Bible is inspired, and there'll always be the human author, whether it's Paul or Peter or Luke or John. And I'll just give you an example of how wonderful it is to ask this question, who. Think of the verse that says God is love from one John. Ask the question, who? Who is writing and what does that mean? Who is speaking and what does that mean? Well, firstly, God is speaking. In that verse, God is love. God himself is speaking. The Father, the Son, the Spirit is speaking in that verse. What does that mean? Well, it means something very wonderful, doesn't it? It means that when it comes to describing himself using one word, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, Reach for the word love. That's the word they reach for. And that's wonderful. Because it means that all of the people who want to minimize the centrality of love in terms of God's character, quite frankly, have no idea what they're talking about. On the other side, though, who else is writing? Who else is speaking in that verse, God is love? Well, the answer is John. And what does that mean? Well, it also means something very wonderful. It means that when it came to describing a person that he had spent three years with, the word that John reaches for is the word love. If you see John, what was Jesus really like? His character, his nature. Describe him using one word. This person you heard snoring at night. This person whose morning breath you smell. What was he like? John says, love, love. And that's wonderful. That's another really good question you can ask when you're reading the Bible. Who is speaking and what does that mean? But then there's another really good question that I want to focus on in part this morning. And it's perhaps an even less obvious question than the question what and the question who. And it's the question how. How does God speak in this text that I'm reading? How does the human author speak in the text that I'm reading? And what does that mean? And the reason that's a good question, how, the reason how is a good question, is this. If you know anything about speech, you'll know that how someone says something can be just as important and just as significant and just as revealing as what someone says. Think about sarcasm. That's why sarcasm works, right? You say one thing, but the way that you say it, how that you say it, communicates that you mean the opposite. That's how powerful how you say something is. But it goes further than that. Someone shouts and swears a lot, if that's how they speak, that means something, doesn't it? That tells you something. It means they're probably quite angry people. If someone talks really fast and they're all over the place, scatterbrains, if that's how they speak, that tells you something as well. It means that they're like that in their heads. Positively, if someone speaks in a way that's thoughtful, considered, slow, if that's how they speak, that tells you something as well, doesn't it? That reveals something about their character. It means that they're probably quite thoughtful themselves. 
If someone speaks in a way that's beautiful, they're constantly using metaphors and symmetry and speaking in ways that are poetic, if that's how they speak, that tells you something as well, doesn't it? It means that that's something of what they're like in their character. They're probably quite creative people. You get the picture. The same is true of the Bible. It's not just what the Bible says that's important and instructive and revealing. And it's not just who is speaking in the Bible that's important and instructive and revealing. The way the Bible speaks, how the Bible speaks, is also really important and really instructive and really revealing. It's a really good thing to do when reading the Bible is to ask not just what does it say, not just who is speaking, but how is the Bible speaking. And that brings us to verse 4 of Proverbs 18. I want to look at verse 4 from that angle. So we'll look at what Solomon and God through Solomon say here, the divine author, the human author. And then secondly, we'll look at how, how they speak in verse 4 of Proverbs 18. Firstly, what? I'm reading verse 4 again. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. I wonder where you'd rather live. Would you rather live by the ocean or by a lake or by a river? For me, it would have to be one of the last. I love lakes. I love rivers. And rivers are amazing when you think about them. Firstly, on the one hand, rivers are always changing, aren't they? They're always changing course and moving about over the landscape. That's how valleys get formed and so forth. Um, you might have heard the famous line, no man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river and he's not the same man. So that's true, isn't it? On the one hand, rivers, by definition, they're always moving, they're always changing, they're always different, always. But on the other hand, there's also a sense in which rivers Never change. Never, ever change. There's a river um, that runs near the bottom of the house that I grew up, and I'm not sure how long it's been there. Let's just say 2,000 years. Um, and you just think about how constant that river has been for the last 2,000 years. Or think of a river that maybe you grew up near, or think of the Waikato River. Think of how constant those rivers have been for the last 2,000 years, right? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for the last thousand years, those rivers have basically stayed the same. They've, they've been making exactly the same sound that they have been for the last, you know, thousand, two thousand years. The sound of, of water on rock that they've never changed in that regard. And if I go and stand at the bottom of my parents' garden and listen to the river, I'm hearing the same sound that I would have heard two thousand years ago. Except there would have been mower and all sorts of crazy animals walking past. So on the one hand, rivers are constantly changing. On the other hand, rivers never change. And that's the imagery of the last half of verse 4. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook, like a river. Now the imagery of the first half is similar. Solomon talks about deep waters. And so you might think of the ocean at this point. When Solomon talks about deep waters, you might think of... The Mariana Trench, for example, 11,000 metres down, deep waters. 
Well, you could carry on the imagery of a river when Solomon talks about deep rivers. The Congo River, deepest river in the world, 220 meters down in parts. I love geography facts, by the way. You might have figured that. In any case, that's the imagery of verse 4. Deep water, bubbling brook. And Solomon and God through Solomon are using that imagery. They're taking that imagery and they're using it to describe the words of a man's mouth and the fountain of wisdom. Now, what does that mean? The fact that Solomon and God through Solomon take this imagery, deep waters, bubbling brook, and use it to describe the words of a man's mouth and the fountain of wisdom. Well, we'll take them one at a time. Firstly, deep waters. Deep waters. What kind of imagery is this imagery of deep waters? I think a good way to describe it is that this imagery of deep waters is imagery of the unsearchable. Deep waters represent something that cannot be fully searched. You've probably heard people say we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the floor of the ocean. And why is that? Well, it's related to verse 4, isn't it? They're deep waters. You can go down to deep parts of the ocean and still find new species, still find animals that no one knew about. You can still see stuff that no one has ever seen. And Solomon, and God through Solomon, are saying, that's true of the words of a man's mouth. They're deep. You can go back to the words of a man's mouth and still find new things there. Things you haven't seen before. Things perhaps no one else has seen before because they're unsearchable. And then bubbling brook is very similar. A bubbling brook just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving and it doesn't stop. And though in one sense it never changes, it's always there. In another sense, it's always changing. It's always fresh and new. And again, Solomon and God through Solomon are saying, that's what the fountain of wisdom is like. You can go back. And though the fountain doesn't change, it's always there, it's always the same. In another sense, every time you go back to this fountain, you find something fresh and new and something you hadn't seen before. But the big question is this, isn't it? Who is the man in verse 4? Whose mouth are we talking about? Well, in one sense, it's every man. Solomon at the start of verse 4 just says the words of a man. He doesn't say a righteous man. He doesn't say an unrighteous man. He doesn't say a wise man. He doesn't say a foolish man. He just says a man. So there's a sense in which the first half, just interpreting it woodenly, applies to all men and all women everywhere. Their words are deep. Positively speaking, their words are deep. And they say really wise things. I mean, you get this feeling, don't you? Whenever someone says something really wise, you, you do this, don't you? You go like that. Whoa. That went right over my head. And what are you doing there? It's it's It's... Over peace with the imagery of deep waters, isn't it? And negatively, when they say stupid things, 
Maybe it's the same feeling just at the other end. You're like, wow, that was so stupid. I don't even know where to begin. So there's a sense in which it applies to everyone, positively and negatively. But I think Solomon does intend it positively. Because he zeroes in, in the second half, on the positive. The fountain of wisdom. That's a good thing. So Solomon in verse 4, when he speaks of the words of a man's mouth, he's speaking of the words of a wise man's mouth. Like I say, you speak to a wise person and sometimes you have this experience, don't you? They say something, you think, wow, that was so profound. I could think about that for the next 10 years. But you know who ultimately this is talking about? It's ultimately about the Lord Jesus. He is the man in verse 4 of Proverbs 18. And there's a wonderful sense in which verse 4 of Proverbs 18 just perfectly describes the Bible. Just think about it. Ask the question, does the Bible ever change? It never changes. It's always the same. Just like a river in one sense, the Bible never changes. It's always the same, and that is wonderful. The Bible, just like Jesus, just like the Father, Son, and Spirit, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just like a river, it's, it's constant. But on the other hand, just like a river, it's always fresh and new, isn't it? Just like deep waters, it's inexhaustible. You can go back to the Bible and you can see something you've never seen before. It's, it's always been there, but you've just never seen it because the Bible is rich inexhaustible. That's how beautiful and life-giving and wonderful the Bible is. And I love what Martin Luther says here. In Scripture, every little daisy is a meadow. Isn't that a wonderful way of describing the Bible? Every little daisy in Scripture, every tiny little part of it, it's a whole meadow contained in it. But it's a true one, isn't it? It's a true description of the Bible. And I just want to encourage you to realize this about Scripture. It's inexhaustible. It's rich. It's beautiful. It's always the same, but in another sense. It's always different and refreshing and new. And so many Christians don't realize that. So many Christians don't feel that way about the Bible. So many Christians don't feel the way the psalmists felt about the Bible. And I think the reason they don't feel that way is because they just jet ski over top of it. Especially in January, because they have their Bible reading plan that they're trying to get through for that year. And so I would just encourage you, slow down. It would be far better to get through the Bible in 20 years and think about what you're reading. Meditate on what you're reading. Ask good questions of what you're reading than it would be to get through it in a, in a year and not do that. Far better. Far more beautiful. So that's the what of verse 4. Now I want to look at the how of verse 4. Remember, as we said in the beginning, how a person says something is often just as important and revealing as what they say. And the same is true of the Bible. So with that in view, let's read verse 4 again. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Ask this question. 
What is verse 4? How is God speaking in verse 4? How is Solomon speaking in verse 4? What is it? You might have to cast your minds back to high school English, but this is a metaphor. It's a metaphor. A metaphor, if you don't remember, is when you say this is that, even though this is not literally that. So if I say my wife's a real early bird, I mean, you don't understand what metaphors are if you ask me what species is she. (laughs) But that's what verse 4 is. It's a metaphor. And Solomon and God through Solomon are using a metaphor. They're saying a man's mouth are deep waters and God and God through Solomon don't mean that literally. They're not literally deep waters. It's a metaphor. And Proverbs is filled with metaphors. I mean, you read Proverbs, it's almost like Solomon couldn't think of anything without thinking of a metaphor for it or thinking of a simile for it. Just over and over and over again, constantly using metaphors. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. An adulteress is a narrow well. Those are all metaphors. Solomon uses them repeatedly. You see David doing this. It's one of my favorite ones in the Bible. When Saul is after David, David says this. The king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. David takes a big slice of metaphor. And he gets a simile and he spreads it right over the top, doesn't it? You see Paul doing this. Look out for dogs. He's not talking about literal stray dogs. He's using a metaphor. And you see Jesus doing it. Don't throw your pearls before swine. None of that's literal. It's metaphorical. Neither the pearls nor the swine are literal. Or he says, I am the bread of life. Or he talks about Drinking his blood. Now, I do want to return to Jesus' words about him being the bread of life and his words about drinking his blood at the end. But for now, the point is that is this. God, in terms of how he chooses to speak, repeatedly uses metaphors and similes over and over and over again. And as I say, that's important. That's revealing. But the big question is, what does it reveal? What does it reveal? Well, think about what a metaphor is. There's more that can be said, but very simply, I do just want to say one thing. Think about what a metaphor is. A metaphor is just a beautiful way of speaking. It's a beautiful way of speaking, there's something about metaphors and similes that's so powerful and beautiful. I remember hearing a man describe what it was like to dance with his wife. And he said, dancing with her is like coming in with the tide. And I remember hearing that metaphor and thinking, oh my goodness, that's such a wonderful way of describing dancing with someone. You know, the, 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 the feeling that you get just hearing that metaphor, the feeling of effortlessness and rhythm and, and all of that. And it's so much more beautiful and powerful than just saying, my wife's a great dancer. Because you hear that, you think, well, I, I know what great means. I know what it means to dance. But it's, 
it's almost meaningless compared with using that metaphor. Dancing with her is like coming in with the tide. And that's because metaphors don't just convey meaning when you think about it. They convey feeling. That's what metaphors do. You get the sense of what it's actually like and it's beautiful and it's powerful. And the metaphors in the Bible are the same. They're beautiful and powerful. So here Solomon says, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters, the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. What does Solomon do here? What does God do through Solomon? He puts in your mind, doesn't he, this imagery of deep waters. Whether it's a deep ocean like the Mariana Trench or a really deep river like the Congo River. This imagery of an ever-changing but always the same river. And he says, that's what it's like listening to someone who's wise. It's always the same. But it's always fresh and new and it cannot be exhausted. And you say, yes, yes. That's powerful and that's beautiful and it is true. And really, it's just a reflection of God's beauty. God himself and his character is beautiful. And so we shouldn't be surprised to see reflected in his word that beauty in the way that he uses language, in the way that he chooses to speak, in the way that he uses metaphors and similes. But here, I want to return to Jesus' words about his body being food and his blood being drunk. And just a heads up, things are about to hopefully get very deep, so deep they're actually unsearchable. But here we go. In John 6, as I referenced earlier, Jesus says that he is the bread of life. And we hear that and we think, great metaphor. What a beautiful metaphor. And it is beautiful language. Think about the experience of eating freshly baked bread. The joy of it, the sustenance of it, the way it fills you. Like a good metaphor, you hear all of that and you feel all of that as Jesus says that he is the bread of life. And you think, great metaphor. But here comes the profound part. There's a sense in which it's not actually a metaphor at all. Listen to what Jesus goes on to say in that same chapter. He says, my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. It sounds like Jesus is saying, when I talk about my body being bread and my uh, blood being drink. Don't take that metaphorically. I'm not speaking metaphorically because it's true food and true drink. It's not a metaphor. It seems like Jesus is saying it's true food and true drink, which begs the question, how should we take those words then? If we're not meant to take them metaphorically, if, if, his, if his body is true food and his blood is true drink, if we're not meant to take it metaphorically, how are we meant to take it? Are we meant to take it literally? Is that how we should interpret it? When we take the Lord's Supper, should we think of that as being literal? Literally Jesus' body? Literally Jesus' blood? Is it metaphorical? 
Is it literal? Jesus talks about his body being food and self being the bread of life and his blood being drink. How should we take it? Metaphorically or literally? What's the answer to that question? The answer is neither. And that's how deep Jesus' words are. It's not a metaphor. And it's not literal either. It's something else. And it's so deep, I don't even think there's a word for it. Because what Jesus seems to be saying in John 6 is this. My flesh and blood, their true food and true drink, and the things that you think about when you think about food and drink, in other words, literal bread and wine and food, they're just copies of the original, and the original is me. That seems to be what Jesus is saying. And if you're sitting here thinking, that's deep, that's unsearchable, I've never heard that before, I've never seen that before, that's the point. Because of verse 4 of Proverbs chapter 18. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling so go on this year thinking on Jesus' words. Don't rush through the Bible this year. Go on thinking on Jesus' words, asking good questions of the word. Who is speaking? What is being said? How is it being said? Go on meditating on the words of the gospel, the gospel of his, his love for us and him giving himself in love to die so that we might have eternal life. For those words are truly inexhaustible. Will you pray with me as we close? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that our greatest delight would be in your word, in you through your word as you reveal yourself to us. We thank you that your word is inexhaustible and we pray that we would spend our lives delighting in it, meditating on it, seeing your glory in it, seeing wonderful things in it. We pray that we would do that so that we might bear fruit, the fruit of love for you and love for neighbor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.